welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Robert Lustig. He's an emeritus professor of pediatrics in the Division of Endocrinology and a member of the Institute for Health Policy Studies at UC San Francisco. He's the internationally acclaimed author of the popular works Fat Chance, Hacking the American Mind, and Metabolical. He lectures globally and consults with numerous medical societies and policy organizations to improve population health. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Um, Welcome back to the show. On this podcast, we had talked to Dr. Lustig last week about um, diet and sugar and the role of fiber in actually preserving health. So he is an emeritus professor of pediatrics in the Division of Endocrinology. Um, He's over at UCSF. He's a member of the Institute for Health Policy Studies. He's authored over 105 peer-reviewed articles and 65 reviews. But his bigger task, first of all, he's an endocrinologist and also a neuroscientist, so he's a great combination of skills. Um, he started out with obesity, then went into diet metabolism, and his remarkable insights into the role of how diet fits into our lives, both in a positive and negative way. So in the podcast we just did, he reminded me of the role of fiber. He pointed out six things that fiber does that's positive. Um, we're going to talk about this time more about the sugar part of it. And his insights are just really fascinating to me. So Rob, welcome back to the show. And I'm, I'm excited you're here. Thanks for having me, David. It's my pleasure. So I did tell you a little story. Um, I will let you talk at some point because this is your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's your podcast. Well, okay. <laughs> so, you know, as you probably know, surgeons don't eat very well. Is that a fair statement? Uh, doctors don't eat very well. You, don't, you think it's doctors? Hey, listen, I was the master of the three-second lunch. You yeah. Know. I mean, I think the essence of the problem is that we work way too many hours and any second we spend eating is a second later that we go home. I mean, it's just a waste of time to us. And I remember sitting down with one of my fellows about five years ago, and he sat down with three bags of popcorn and two Pepsis. That was his lunch. So that that's, and, and I used to eat entire bags of Oreos in one sitting or entire bags of chips in one sitting. Right. So I went to my primary care doctor about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago now, and just had a routine medical workup. And um, my, my liver functions were seriously elevated. I'm going, what's going on? Then I happened to read your book, Fat Chance, which is a remarkable book just in the biochemistry of food. You realize that we talked about in the last podcast, but the idea is that insulin spikes drive your glucose into the abdomen and create fat. And then also that, which you also pointed out so succinctly as a physician, I always thought that alcoholic liver disease was from the alcohol. You succinctly pointed out that actually the problem with alcohol is the sugar. Blew me away. So I quit eating sugar like this. I, I made a pretty big abrupt halt. And sure enough, a year later, my, my liver functions were completely normal. So he gave us some wonderful insights in the last podcast about the role of um, fiber being food for bacteria, evening out the absorption of nutrients. But I'd like to talk about this time, and I'll just you, let you start where you'd like to start on just the role of sugar, what, what concentrated sugar does to our bodies. Right. So the question is, First of all, what do we mean by sugar? 
Okay. So let's let's have a, a definition. Okay. okay. All right. Dietary sugar, that is sucrose, table sugar, cane sugar, beet sugar, the stuff you put in your coffee, the crystals. High fructose corn syrup, the stuff they put in the sodas. Maple syrup, honey, agave. Okay, these are the five standard caloric sweeteners that we use here in the United States and most of the world. Each of those is essentially the same thing. One molecule of glucose, one molecule of fructose. Now, both of those are sugars. They are monosaccharides. When they are bound together, one glucose, one fructose bound together, we get sucrose. When they are free and not bound together, then they are high fructose corn syrup. They are what? High fructose corn syrup. Okay, so let me just get this straight. So glucose is its own monosaccharide. Fructose is its own monosaccharide. It's when they get bound together, you now have sucrose, which is a concentrated sugar. Which is a disaccharide. Yeah, okay. disaccharide. And the enzyme in your intestine cleaves the bond between the glucose and the fructose. You absorb the two molecules, and then they do their own thing. Now, glucose is the energy of life. Every cell on the planet burns glucose for energy. Glucose is so goddamn important that if you don't consume it, your body makes it. Okay. The Inuit, you know, they didn't have any carbohydrate, didn't have any place to grow a carbohydrate. They had ice. They had whale blubber. Okay. But they still had a serum glucose level. And the reason is because you can take the protein or the fat from the whale blubber and it will go to the liver and the liver will turn it into glucose. This is a process called gluconeogenesis. Right. So everyone who is alive has a serum glucose level, no matter what they eat. And the point is that while, while having a blood glucose is essential to life, consuming that glucose through your mouth is not essential to life. So yes, glucose is essential, but eating it is not. Okay. In fact, you can do just fine never having consumed one molecule of carbohydrate in your entire life. Wow. Okay, you're saying if I eat just protein and just high quality fat, that I would probably and, and of healthy. course vitamins. It's a vitamin, yeah, right, vitamins of course. But right. So yep. you're saying that I probably probably would be healthier doing that than I would be eating processed sugar. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. In fact, um, William or Stephenson, famous Arctic explorer, one of the founders of the Explorers Club, didn't go to the North Pole first, but went to the North Pole most, was actually in a shipwreck in 1914 and lived amongst the Inuit for three years. Noted while he was, you know, uh, shipwrecked that the Inuit had no cardiovascular disease, no cancer, and no um, aging. No, I'm sorry, no... Aging. Okay, no, no cancer, cardiovascular disease, and they did not... And age. their aging process was markedly slowed. Wow. People lived to be, you know, 100-something, you know, very easily in the, in the Inuit. And he ended up writing a book called Cancer, a Disease of Civilization. He and his um, uh, uh, shipwrecked partner... Um, 
ended up checking themselves into NYU Bellevue in 1928. And they stayed there for a year, both of them, while they were uh, experimented upon by the physicians. And during that time, they only ate meat. Only meat for one year. Okay. And at the end of the year, they were healthier than the doctors. Wow. Okay, and famous paper in Journal of Clinical Investigation, 1928. Wow. So you do not have to consume carbohydrate. It is not necessary. Okay. Carbohydrate is not an essential nutrient. Okay. It, in, its, in a way, I mean, it's so essential that your body will make it, but that means that it's not essential to consume. Okay. Now that's glucose. Right. Fructose, on the other hand, this other molecule is not glucose. It is very different. Fructose is a five-membered ring. Glucose is a six-membered ring. And it's metabolized completely differently than that of glucose. In fact, the metabolism of fructose most closely resembles the metabolism of alcohol. And that shouldn't be all that surprising because after all, we now have this phenomenon called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Now, prior to 1980, if you saw a patient who had fatty liver, that was alcohol. Okay. But now 25% of children have fatty liver and they don't drink alcohol. Wow. Boy, oh boy, do they consume fructose. And so they end up in the same place and they end up doing the same thing and they end up causing the same diseases. And that's why children today have the diseases of alcohol without the alcohol. Type 2 diabetes and fatty liver disease prior to 1980 were the diseases of alcohol. Now they're the diseases of children. And the reason is because they just use a different substrate. So the okay. question is, what about fructose? What is fructose? Fructose turns out to be unnecessary for any biochemical reaction in any vertebrate on the planet. Wow. There is not one biochemical reaction that requires fructose. Okay. It is completely vestigial to all human life. Okay. It is a holdover from our plant ancestors. Okay. But it also happens to be very sweet. Okay. And we like it. And it also happens to stimulate the reward center of the brain. So you get a dopamine hit when you consume fructose, okay. which of course makes you say, wow, this is really good. I like this. I want some more. Right. The problem is that your liver has a limited capacity to metabolize it in the same way your liver has a limited capacity to metabolize alcohol. Okay. When you go over your limit, you start getting damage. And that damage can be alcoholic fatty liver disease. It can be alcoholic um, uh, uh, brain disease, you know, organic brain syndrome. It can be alcoholic um, uh, uh, cirrhosis of the liver. It can be alcoholic uh, 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 heart disease, or it can be sugar related because they are metabolized virtually identically. So, so this, they'd cause damage in a, they cause damage in a similar manner is what you're saying? Exactly right. In okay. the exact same way. And so fructose, because it has no biochemical relevance 
and because it is toxic in amounts be you know above you know your liver's capacity and because it is addictive it is a major health threat got it in the same way that tobacco is not necessary but is both toxic and addictive right the same way that nicotine you know uh, well and cigarette smoking um uh, in the same way that alcohol does not have a, uh, a a need but is toxic and addictive in the same way that cocaine is not needed but is toxic and addictive in the same way that heroin is not needed but is toxic and addictive the bottom line is any uh, uh any compound that is non-essential toxic and addictive is regulated except sugar except sugar so and let's not sure to all that love <laughs> right so let's talk about sugar just for a second so i'll never forget reading a book called the knife man which is a biography of john hunter and it was about i think in the 1600s there or early 1700s that um they started importing sugar cane i mean sugar from the sugar cane fields in the caribbean to england and of course people's dental health went to hell it's just a really interesting change in their overall health yep. and their teeth started to fall out yep. but in sugar cane so at least my i don't know the history of sugar very much but in sugar when you eat uh sugar what is that that is sucrose right yes yeah, so when you're eating sugar you're eating one of the five compounds that we talked about before sucrose high fructose corn syrup maple syrup honey agave they're so all equivalent they all have slightly different flavors, but they're all equivalent. They all have fructose. One glucose, one fructose. Right. Got it. And it, and I'm assuming that the levels that become toxic to your body are relatively low compared to what most of us consume. Exactly. So, so let me ask you a couple of questions. So how much, how much can you consume and not really cause much trouble with your body? Right. So the American Heart Association years ago, and I was part of this panel, uh, said that for women, a maximum of six teaspoons of added sugar per day, that's 25 grams. Okay. For men, a maximum of nine teaspoons per day, that's 37 and a half grams. Okay. For children ages three to 14, a maximum of three teaspoons per day, that's 12 grams. Wow. And recently they said for age two and below, zero grams. Zero. 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 Oh my goodness. Right. So okay. that's not a lot. No. Okay. Well, we consume quadruple that. And so the point is we have a set of liver enzymes that can metabolize fructose in the same way those enzymes can metabolize alcohol. Okay. But you know what happens when you overload those enzymes. Right. Well, but there's not much difference. The only difference between fructose and alcohol is that alcohol seeps into the neuron and okay. causes ne neuronal uh, inhibition. So you get the brain effects, you get the tipsiness, you get the, you know, ultimately you get the coma. Right. Fructose does not enter neurons. Fructose enters astrocytes. Okay. And causes problems there. 
So the neurons are not immediately affected. They are indirectly affected later on. And so you get okay. ability, but you don't, you know, keel over on a dime, you know, and you don't end up, you know, shall we say in a fructose stupor. Um, that's the big difference. Okay. So let's talk about fructose for a second as far as, so I, I, I didn't quite get this clear in my mind. So, okay, you had sugar, sucrose, which has fructose and glucose, and your fructose levels are too high. Let's say I'm using my usual, how many grams of sugar do you think you're in a whole bag of Oreos? <laughs> in a whole bag? I'm serious. I used to eat whole bags of Oreos and I'll think twice about it. I'd have to, I'd have to uh, do some <laughs> math. I, I'm, I'm doing purely, a, you know, a head calculation right now based on how many Oreos are in a, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a, in the jacket. Um, probably, let's see, there's probably about seven grams of sugar per Oreo. And they're probably, about I'm going to try there's seven grams per Oreo. I think there's seven grams of sugar. Per oh my Oreo, goodness. I think. And I'm, I'm not positive of that. I have to look it up but to be sure, but I think that's right. Um, and then there are probably about 60 Oreos per package. So right. that's about uh, 60 times. That's about 420 grams of Oreos in, a, in an entire package. And, you know, you're not supposed to have more than 37 and a half. <laughs> so that's about 10 times the amount that you should be having. So it's no wonder my liver enzymes were elevated. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I honestly, it's not odd. I'm a physician. I, I should know a little bit about nutrition and I really, we aren't really trained very well in medical school about nutrition, but no, no. In, in fact, it's, it's very specifically left out of most medical curricula. Only 28% of all medical schools even have a nutrition curriculum. So what I'd like to follow through for myself and the audience. Okay. So I, I've, I've eaten my half a bag of words. Let's give myself a little bit of a break. And okay. So it comes into my intestine and you say that there's no fiber in Oreos that I'm aware of. Right. There's no fiber. You don't have the nice coating in the intestine that you talked about. It gets absorbed. Right. And so I get this really pretty massive insulin spike. Yep. I've exceeded the processing limit of my liver. So what happens to this massive rush of fructose in my system? What, what happens? What, what is it doing to my body? What's my body doing to deal with it? So there are... Um three things that fructose does that glucose does not. And those three things are all detrimental. So let's go through them. The first thing that happens is that when fructose enters the liver, it will be metabolized to pyruvate. Pyruvate will then enter the mitochondria. The mitochondria will try to burn it, but the mitochondria can only burn so fast. When you what? Well, it can only burn the mitochondria of your cells, the little energy burning factories inside each cell can only burn so fast. Okay. So when you overwhelm your mitochondria, the mitochondria have no choice but to take the excess and the, they leave the mitochondria, they form a, a compound called citrate. And then that citrate is acted on by three enzymes. The three enzymes together are ATP citrate lyase, acetyl-CoA carboxylase one, and fatty acid synthase. These three enzymes together form what we call de novo lipogenesis, new fat making. You turn okay. sugar into fat. Wow. Now, that fat then has one of two fates. It can either be exported out of the liver, in which case your serum triglycerides go up, 
in which okay. case now you're at risk for cardiovascular disease or obesity, or the fat won't make it out of the liver and it will precipitate as a lipid droplet. And now you have fatty liver disease, which is its own problem and also causes insulin resistance, which leads to diabetes. Okay. That's problem number one is this fat business. Sugar That's a big fat. one. Sugar to fat is one, is problem one. Problem two, fructose is a major driver of the aging reaction. So why do people get wrinkles? Why do people get cataracts? Why do you paint barbecue sauce on your ribs before you grill them? Why do bananas brown? These are all manifestations of the browning reaction or the Maillard reaction, also known as non-enzymatic glycation. It is what hemoglobin A1C is for diabetics. So this is a reaction where glucose can bind to proteins, non-enzymatically. Okay. And the higher your A1C, the worse your diabetes. Right. You know, all the diabetics know that that's what they have to go check. Well, it turns out fructose does that reaction seven times faster than glucose. Wow. And generates 100 times the number of oxygen radicals, which then damage the body. Okay. So, so the aging reaction, fructose is a primary driver of the aging reaction okay. throughout your body, all over your body. And when that reaction occurs, it's going to cause proteins to lose their flexibility and their function. It's going to cause lipids, membranes to become peroxidated and become, you know, porous and, and, and uh, give off all sorts of other stuff and allow toxins in. And basically that starts you down the, you know, slow road to hell. Okay. Wow. So the second thing that fructose does that glucose doesn't. And then the third thing that fructose does that glucose doesn't is it activates the reward center. Glucose does not. Glucose activates multiple parts of the brain, but not the reward center. Fructose activates the reward center. So when you get the buzz from eating sugar, it's because the fructose stimulated the reward center in the brain, an area called the nucleus accumbens. Glucose doesn't do that. You don't see people going around chugging Cairo syrup, do you? No, that's glucose. Got it. You don't see people going around chugging molasses, do you? That's glucose. Fructose is sweet. Molasses is not that sweet. Okay. So fructose is the driver and fructose is, gives you the bing in your head. And fructose is the thing that says, this tastes good. I want more. And Got it. The food industry knows that. And that's why they've added sugar to everything on purpose, because they know when they add it, you buy more because they have activated your reward center. Got it. So this is more than fascinating. It's sort of disturbing to put on my light. I mean, it is in your book, Fat Chance, and also you talk about the book Metabolical, as far as these concepts. So I, would, I really would encourage everybody to read one or both of these books. It's really remarkable what he's found out. So what I'd like to do is just a couple of summary concepts, but I'd like to also talk a little bit about the solution. So I have two grandchildren and they don't eat a lot of sugar, but you just said that the recommended levels of fructose for kids under two is zero. Zero. Yep. 
Doesn't baby formula have sugar in it? Well, <laughs> it shouldn't. But it it's does. A complica complicated story. So number one, there is this other sugar, which we didn't discuss, called galactose. Okay. So there, remember glucose and fructose? Right. We didn't discuss galactose. Now, galactose is what's in milk sugar, in lactose. Okay. You know how people are lactose intolerant? Because right. they can't uh, cleave the bond between the glucose and the galactose. Okay. Now, galactose is actually essential for growing brains. Okay. Galactose is necessary for babies to be able to lay down lipids in the brain to make the brain work right. Okay. Galactocerebrosides. Okay. Um, so those, you need galactose and that's why mother's milk and cow's milk and every other milk have galactose because they are necessary for brain development. Now, the need for that galactose goes away around age three. Okay. You've built your brain and you've built your galactocerebrosides. And so if you then deprive people of galactose after that, not that big a deal. Okay. But if you deprive babies of galactose, okay, that's a mega big deal and a really bad thing to do. Okay. One of the reasons why the macrobiotic diet that pe people put their babies on back in the 1970s and 80s caused such severe damage. What, what was that diet? Called the macrobiotic diet. It was, yeah, what was it? Was it? A, it was a fad. It was a vegetarian fad for babies. So they, Not they, a good idea. Got it. So, Quick question. I don't want to say we're too far here off of this. So in, in adults, dairy is okay. Dairy is okay. Yes. People I keep, dairy I keep on hearing that dairy is inflammatory and I'm not, I don't know where that comes from. Is yeah. Too. Yeah. I, I know where it comes from and it's not based on good sound evidence. Okay. Okay. So I don't, I don't get too far off on that topic. And it's, we'll based on, it's based on a, on a, on a study that is, you know, sort of famously problematic called the China study. Okay. And it, it basically examined the Chinese population who don't consume a lot of milk. And they found that, you know, using very simple linear correlation analysis rather than the multivariate analysis that you need to do, they oh. said, oh, yeah, consumption of milk correlated with uh, uh, various diseases in the Chinese population. And so, therefore, milk must be the problem. Um, that is not clear. Interesting. Okay. So, I, I mean, We'll, we can talk for a long time here. So I just want to summarize some of the things I've heard today is that glucose is essential for life. You can get that from proteins and high quality fats. Um, fructose, which is part of processed sugar, is um, not beneficial to the human body at all. In fact, it's damaging. Right. Hard to metabolize, only causes damage. You pointed out that the recommended, recommended dose of sugar for kids under two years old is zero. Yep. For adult females, it was 25 grams a day, yep. and males, it was 37 grams a day. Yep. And just for the, just for a reference point, how much sugar does a can of pop have? Ginger ale. Uh, a standard uh, 12 ounce can should have has about 39 grams of sugar. Just one can. Yeah. So basically, one can of uh, of a standard soda, sugared soda, is your entire allotment for the day. Okay. Okay. Got it. So 
anyway, the bottom line is, I do want to say two more things here because I think they're really critical in this podcast. So you point out when you juice vegetables or fruits that you've lost the pulp, you're, you might as well be drinking sugar. Is that a fair statement or no? Yeah, you're drinking. Basically, once you take the fiber away, the fruit juice actually has more sugar in it than the soda does. Right. But I mean, does that have fructose in it also? Of course. Okay. Sucrose. What about, what about what about taking kale or spinach and juicing that? So there's no fructose in the kale or the spinach. So if you want to put that in your green smoothie, you know, have at it. But, you know, you're losing the insoluble fiber because you're shearing it to smithereens. You know right. And you saying? pointed out that fiber is really critical for bacterial growth, which regulates. And my understanding is that about 90% of serotonin is actually manufactured by the gut. Is that That's true? Correct. That is correct. Okay. So I'm not, bad, I'm not, I'm not bad for orthopedic surgeon, am I? <laughs> not a bit, not a bit. Look, the, the fact of the matter is there are very few surgeons who know science. Okay. They know, they know mechanics, but right. they don't know biochemistry. Right. And, you know, I, I'm, I don't mean to call them out for that. You know, they, they do what they do and they do it very well. And I've got a busted up knee right now. And I need some, you know, I might actually come to your office, David, uh, right. for my knee. So I, I value your technical expertise. Okay. But that does not mean that you know anything about nutrition. Right. Except for you. You, you well, I'm, I'm learning, and honestly, I swear to God, everything I've learned is pretty much from your one book, Fat Chance. And this, the, what I like about the book, Fat Chance, is it gives you the principles behind diet. It doesn't recommend a specific diet. So it gives you a reason to make, on a given day, you look at the choices and go, well, okay, that's going to do this to me. This is going to do this to me. So you start making better choices of what happened to me. Right. Then I was shocked to see my liver functions go back to normal within a year. And then there's that one movie called Supersize It, the, the McDonald's Size experiment, it. which obviously is explained by what you just discussed today. And for those of you, this is probably before a lot of your time, is that there's a movie where a gentleman decided to take, eat nothing but McDonald's food for one month right. and really had pretty profound impact on his body chemistry. Yeah. It's quite a quite startling movie. So um, then the other thing is that when you also are eating fats and proteins you're also creating more ketones which are also anti-inflammatory correct they can be i mean if you so if if you are eating just fats and proteins and not carbohydrate that means you're keeping your insulin down which will give your body a chance to make ketones right and ketones are an anti-inflammatory and ketones are good however the minute you have that cinnabon it's all over what do you mean? Because the, the, you know, the sugar and the carbohydrate in that Cinnabon is going to jack up that insulin and stop the ketosis. Right. And so, you're so, so a ketonic diet is not going to counteract the sucrose. That's right. Okay. I got it. Okay. That's right. Right. And I think it's incredibly light. I mean, I should on a ketogenic diet and consume sucrose and think somehow you're you're, you're mitigating the negative effect. You know, I've sort of known this for a long time, but I didn't, you said it so clearly today is that you can live your entire life more healthfully by never consuming carbohydrates at all. That's a pretty big statement. That is absolutely true. Wow. That's incredible. So we didn't get to talk about much about chronic pain today. I will say that um, what Dr. Lustig is talking about is um, trying to lower your body's um, inflammatory response. We know that chronic pain in general is markedly 
made worse by um, inflammation. There's a couple papers out now that we'll, we, the, the, the authors are going to actually present on our Wednesday group about using a key, key, a low carbohydrate diet for chronic pain, which actually has been very interesting. Mm -hmm. So turns out I was wrong. Diet is a big factor. I mean, none of these factors by themselves are going to solve your chronic pain, but it's going to be hard to solve chronic pain if you just eat a highly inflammatory diet. Is that a fair statement? That is a very fair statement. Right. Unfortunately, there are other ways to uh, generate inflammation aside from diet. Right, right. The main one is stress. Right. And, you know, stress, stress has its own effects on perception of pain. Correct. Unrelated to diet. So right. there, there are a lot of there. Unfortunately, there are a lot of cats you have to skin here. Correct. So um, any I do have to have you back in the podcast to get to the topic that we were originally going to talk about, which is stress, physiology, and pain, and also this problem we have now of deaths of despair, which is really just incredibly tragic at every level. Um, and diet has a lot to do with that as well as social media, et cetera. You know, this whole inflammatory response is a big deal. So the original reason I had Dr. Lessig on the, on the program is he gave an incredible talk to our group on the role of digital media and actually diet on inflammatory markers and actually our mental health in a big way. It's a, it, an incredible talk. And we'll get to that here in the next month or two. But um, any parting words to the audience today? Um, the uh, food that you eat uh, is, has this thing on the side of the package called the nutrition facts label. Okay. It's a piece of junk. Really? It's a piece of junk. Okay. And the reason it's a piece of junk is because it tells you what's in the food. Okay. That's irrelevant. It's what's been done to the food. Okay. All food is inherently good. It's what's been done to the food that's not. Okay. You can't learn that from a nutrition facts label. Okay. That has to do with then understanding the nature of food processing. How right. has the food been processed? Got well, it. Well, this is what uh, several uh, 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 groups are now trying to address in an attempt to try to, you know, fix the food supply. And I'm right. part of that. And I'm very proud of that. So Dr. Lesson has been very active in a societal level, industrial level, trying to actually ch uh, change the tide of this, bring this into public awareness. Um, I'm excited. I can do a little bit to help that cause forward, but the stuff he's talking about is such really deep science. It, it needs to get out into the public awareness. It's unbelievable how much has not so um, we talked about this in the prior podcast. He has a book called Fat Chance, which will tell you how to eat food, give you some principles of making a decision. There's also one called Metabolical, which is the most recent book. And you felt that gave more around the current issues around food and production and marketing, et cetera. So as far as actually changing your eating habits, Fat Chance is a great book. Then you also have the Fat Chance cookbook, right? So every, uh, every uh, recipe in that book uh, vetted by a Mount Diablo high school student to be con producible, consumable, and delicious in 30 minutes or less. Wow. The most complicated piece of equipment you need is a blender. Wow. And then finally, um, Rob, how do we um, get a hold of you? What are some of the ways we can get a hold of you? I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, I have a website, robertlustig.com or metabolical.com. 
ultimately lead you to the same places. And there are a lot of infographics and other pieces of information. I also post on Twitter and uh, uh, LinkedIn and you know Instagram and Facebook and all of those social media sites, which I'm not happy about, but it's a requirement nowadays. Right. It's a way to reach the public unfortunately. And uh, of course, you know, there are books, uh, you know, and I prefer the long form, because these are complex problems that sort of need full espousing in order to be understandable. So fantastic. Well, again, thank you very much. I learned a ton today myself. And I really appreciate your appreciate your time. You're a busy guy. Well, it's my pleasure, David, you know, we got to get we got we got to turn this aircraft carrier around. Somewhere. No, I agree 100%. I'd like to thank our guest, Rob Lustig, for being on the show today and for taking us through the science of how the body metabolizes sugar and the impacts of sugar on our health. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Anscombe. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.